0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.
1: Everything I'm going to teach, everything I'm going to say in this message, I'm guilty of it all. We all are. So I don't want you to get the, the feeling that I'm here to present you with this attitude or lifestyle that I am living perfectly. And if you could just become like me, everything will be good. I struggle with these very same things Today,
0: today, today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name's Aaron, and in this message, Pastor Jeff starts a new series on pursuing Jesus. Based in Matthew chapter 6, it speaks about how no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this passage applies not just to money, but to other worldly pursuits as well. So let's get into it now and hear what Pastor Jeff has to say on God's Word.
1: Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 6. We're going to get there just in a moment. In Matthew 6, Jesus makes a rather dramatic statement. Uh, Before I get to that, I I just want to preface what I'm going to say with these words. Everything I'm going to teach, everything I'm going to say in this message, I'm guilty of it all. We all are. So I don't want you to get the, the feeling that I'm here to present you with this attitude or lifestyle that I am living perfectly, and if you could just become like me, everything will be good. The opposite is true, in that I struggle with these very same things so I know the ramifications, but the reality is all of us should be trying to improve at these areas. And the simple way of saying it is that the way most of us are living is just not working. It's not conducive to human flourishing. It's definitely not conducive to a healthy spirituality. It's, it's, it's detrimental. Uh, to hearing the voice of God. And hearing the voice of God is everything. When you're in a position where you can discern the voice of God, the words of God to you, then you gain guidance during crucial times when you face crucial decisions. Uh, You're gonna be able to feel encouragement when you feel like giving up. You're gonna experience a certain amount of certainty when everything that you've believed in all of your life, you start to doubt, you begin to doubt. What Jesus says Again, it's very dramatic. He says in Matthew 6, verse 22 and 23, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness indeed? We're in a series called Pursuing Jesus. Let me build this kind of platform upon which we are going to continue to present truths associated with what happens when we pursue Jesus together, as individuals coming together, corporate body of Jesus Christ and as a church. The idea that Jesus is presenting here has to be seen through the lens, no pun intended, of the ancient world. In the ancient world, there was a quasi-science called physiognomy. And basically this science taught that a person's physical features could communicate the type of person they were on the inside. As a matter of fact, Hippocrates said, those with a large head and large dark eyes and a wide snub nose are honest. So you see how this works? Your physical features determine who you are on the inside. Now I read that and I thought, wow, I have a small head. In fact, when I buy hats, I have to buy a child size, large in a children's size. I have light blue eyes and my nose is quite narrow, which means, according to Hippocrates, I must be dishonest. Cicero said, the eyes are the chief indicator of the soul. The color and shape of a person's eyes reveal with exceeding clarity the innermost feelings of our hearts. There is a first century description of Tiberius that goes like this. His unusually large eyes remind one of cattle and therefore a sign of sluggishness. So in the eyes of who or or the, the, the person who's writing about Tiberius, his face looked like a cow, therefore he must be lazy. As a matter of fact, we have a few terms that have evolved out of that first century context. For instance, you and I use the term stink eye. Well, that evolved from the idea of evil eye. And the belief was that certain animals or individuals, demons or gods had the power to injure any object on which their glance fell." So Plinius the Elder wrote about the evil eye of a certain tribe when he said, "'There are families in the same part of Africa that wield the evil eye, whose gazes cause meadows to dry up, trees to wither, and infants to perish, who also injure by the evil eye and who kill those at whom they stare for a longer period of time, especially with furious eyes.'" So imagine having that kind of power just by staring to cause physical debilitation. Now, the reason that's important is because that is the context into which Jesus speaks his words. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness indeed? The Hebrews had reversed the order, in fact, invented the order and saying that the eyes do not necessarily reveal the character of a person, rather that upon which the eyes gaze reveals what the person's heart is ultimately about and will also have deep ramifications of mental health. So rather than the eyes revealing the character of a person, as was the thought among those who were in the quasi-science physiognomy, The Hebrews taught that what the eyes shine light on, what the eyes gaze upon, what they fix their focus on, in turn reveals what a person's heart pursues or chases hard after and as a result has great impact on our physical and mental health. Let me read it again. He says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if your gaze is on something that is healthy, something that is good, something that has been designed for human flourishing, then you in turn will be healthy. But if you fix your gaze through your entire life on those things that are of darkness, those things that are unhealthy, those things that can never deliver what your soul searches for most, then... Darkness will be or will reside and great will be the darkness indeed. Now back to the way that you and I are living as we began this message. I just got back from Turkey. It's not what I expected at all. I'd never been, I had read stories, I had seen documentaries. This is a very slow paced culture. In fact, people sit out in the parks and on the street side cafes till late in the hours of the night, somewhere around midnight, the men and the women of the community come together in groups and they play backgammon. They drink Turkish tea or Turkish coffee. They eat this thing called cement, uh, not cement, but cement, which is like uh, our form of the bagel, only much more narrow, much more crisp. They talk every evening. They enjoy life. The shops don't even open till 10 a.m. And the reason they don't open till 10 a.m., which was Uh, quite a struggle for me because I need coffee before seven or things get ugly. So I couldn't get a coffee until 10 or 10.30 because even though they open the shop at 10, you can come in and sit down, but nothing really starts till around 10.30 or 11. And the reason this is, is because they live their lives in community till late in the evening. They sleep in and then start their day around 10 o'clock. Service in Turkey is non-existent. So if you go in and you order a latte, which I did many times, and you stand there waiting as if you want to take it, you want to get it to go, they will look at you and they will say respectfully, but in their broken English, they will say, no, no, sit down. You sit down. Because in their minds, if you're going to order a latte, a latte is meant to be enjoyed. You don't take it and run away with it, but you sip it slowly and enjoy the day. One day when we were in a village called Selchuk, I was walking down the street to try to find an ATM. As I'm walking, of course, an American tour stands out. There was an older man, a Turkish man by the name of Marco, who owned a carpet shop. And as I walked by him, knowing that I was out of place, he said, where are you from? In his broken English. I responded by saying Los Angeles. He said, come, sit with me. Let's talk. I know that you're an American. And... Let me share the simplicity of Turkish life with you. And in about a 40-minute conversation, I mean, I I found this to be a divine uh, intervention, that I would have the opportunity to speak with someone that knew enough English that I could gain or glean from him everything I could about Turkish culture. And during the course of the evening, our conversation went on a more deep level He started saying to me, as he trusted me, you Americans, he said, are killing yourselves. Now, here's a Turkish man who has spent about three or four years in Los Angeles and then moved back to his home. He said, in America, you never have enough. And you think you're very religious, but you're not. Now, give him a little grace here. He comes from a place where five times a day, the Amman comes over the loudspeakers in every city throughout Turkey. And no matter where you are, you either come to the mosque to pray or you get your carpet or mat out in the street or at your job, wherever you are, and you pay homage to your God. He says, but you Americans are far too busy to be religious, far too busy to give thanksgiving to your God. And I thought, wow, imagine America doing that where we would ring the church bell maybe three times a day, what would happen? We'd probably be uh, arrested for disturbing the peace, but how many Americans would stop what they're doing three, four, five times a day and just engage in a pleasurable conversation with God and with each other. Now, he wasn't being critical. He was just stating, and I think an effort to get me to move to his country, that for us Americans, life is all about opportunity. He's right about that. We are the land of opportunity. And there's a part of me that got a little defensive because I'm thinking, hey, you know what? People don't move to Turkey to make a career. They move to America. But that was exactly his point. In his own Turkish way, he was explaining to me how the pendulum in America has swung too far, that we don't live simple lives anymore. And it's robbing us of enjoying every new day. Everything in America, I thought, is high speed, high speed internet. You want your iPhone to work faster and faster, which is why you pay more and more money. We think of the money we spend on high tech, on things like Amazon and eBay, Places where we can order things and have them at our front door within a matter of hours. And how about Netflix and Apple and Disney and Hulu? We want the convenience of things operating fast. We have cars and houses. We pay $5 for a cup of coffee. And sometimes when I hear someone say, I'm just trying to pay the bills, I'm reminded, yes, it's because most of us live far above our means and The things we purchase, we really don't truly need. The properties that we have. I looked at my own house and I'm thinking, the house I live in, most people would say, where are the other four families who live with you? And if someone in Turkey were to see three cars in my driveway, they'd probably say, why do you need three cars? Or why don't you just take the bus? You notice what Jesus talks about in that passage in Matthew 6, I read the part with which most of us are not familiar. We are familiar with the preceding verses where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The point of all of this is there is a high cost to the way that we are living. And it's not just money. Jesus said the pursuit of mammon and wealth changes you. It changes what you pursue. You become a different person. And what you pursue, all of your life ends up pursuing you. And what you're trying to get ends up trying to get you. And my Turkish friend was trying to explain to me that this is literally, this kind of life is killing us. And it's why we are so anxious and depressed and have a sense of hopelessness. You know, there's a a neat little trick that you play on yourself when you experience anxiety disorder, which many Americans are. It's a thing called biofeedback. So as your brain is sending a message to your body defined as impending doom and your heart is racing and your pulse is firing and your blood pressure rises, if you just take your fingers and put them where your pulse is, just under your neck here, and you take four deep breaths, your pulse will slow. It will send a signal to your brain that your pulse is slowing, therefore everything must be okay. And you'll get it out of the circle of impending doom into the circle that I'm okay. I wish I knew a trick to tell you that you could put your soul to rest. But that doesn't come by some trick or some formula. That comes when you make intentional change in your life. And according to Jesus, the change resides primarily in what you have decided all of your life to fix your gaze upon. Let me read it again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if you fix your gaze on things that are conducive to spiritual and mental health, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you fix your gaze on things that will never deliver what your soul most searches for, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Again, this series is about healthy eyes healthy bodies full of light, healthy souls experiencing shalom, peace, human flourishing, that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus together, that as a community and as individuals that we may know God and experience his presence in our lives. So what this sermon then tends to do, intends to do, is to address the question of how to. How do I then, if I am to pursue Christ if I am to fix my gaze on God, and that will bring about a healthy spirituality, a healthy mentality, that my life is full of light, shedding away the darkness, human flourishing, shalom, then how do I go about that? Now, quickly, I hardly ever ask you to write anything down. Follow in your your outline on the app or write these principles down. They're important. Some of them you've heard before, some of them not. First one is this. You pursue Christ. We pursue Jesus together through the language of God and his revelation to us. There have been numerous times in my marriage when my wife Robin has said this to me, and I'm sure many wives have said the same thing to their husbands. How can you and I be close if we seldom talk? You can't. How can we be intimate with each other when you don't understand me? And how can you understand me when there's no effort of communication, deep, meaningful communication? The Bible tells you that God has gone to great lengths to communicate with you his will, his purpose, his way, in a way that you can comprehend. It's called the Bible. God's story of redemption, of hope, and ultimate security are all found in the pages of Scripture. And if you're seldom in the Word, you cannot possibly experience Jesus. Pursuing Jesus means that you're wanting to hear from His revelation, you're wanting to understand Him. Chris T. Green, one of my favorite devotional authors, because I believe that he has great depth and he writes with such profundity, he says in one of his excerpts God's relationship with human beings is in the pages of Scripture and throughout history, as well as the very existence of the Bible, gives ample evidence that God guides, instructs, corrects, inspires, encourages, reveals, and more. Inspired writers even call him the Word. The Word of God and the character and the workings and doings of God are inextricably tied together so that the more you're aware of the way God works, the more ability you have to discern the voice of God. God has always been vocal and he always will be, but you have to position yourself to listen and to hear. David said early in the morning, while I seek thee, Psalm 63, one. He also said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I had the privilege in my young life of having a grandmother, Grandma Bessie, who exemplified this type of life. She didn't have a lot financially. Her gaze, her constant pursuit was that of God through the voice of Scripture. And she constantly heard from the voice of God as a result. She didn't have a television. She couldn't afford it. She didn't have an internet, no iPad, no iPod, no iPhone. As we've said in the past, just I prayed. And as she prayed even though she had plenty of outward struggles, diabetes, poverty, she had lived uh, or surpassed the lives of two husbands, yet she had this unbelievable strength and faith. And I remember going to see her and witnessing firsthand this tattered old Bible that she would sit and hold and quote, even after her eyesight was gone, she believed the word of God became flesh and was her connection to God in Christ. So she poured over Scripture, the written word, probably like Martin Luther poured over the passage, the just shall live by faith. Because the words of Scripture became her lifeline, her power, her security. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And James Merritt said, the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. Can I tell you, there's no shortcut here. And for those of you who think you know God and spend no time in the word, be very careful. The God you're beginning to know may not be the God of scripture. It requires heavy pursuit. And it's taken me a long time, a lifetime, to see how my daily time with God can pay huge dividends. When you're feeling worthless, the Spirit recalls Jeremiah 1.5 and Psalms 139. Before you were born, I formed you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you feel distant from God, God is a friend who stays closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, 24. When you feel lost and alone, Ephesians 2, you've been saved by grace through faith. When you feel unloved, nothing can separate you from the love of God, Romans eight thirty nine. When you feel abandoned, God will work everything together for good, for his good, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So first, the language of God Now, let me go back. I'm going to stay here just for a moment. You and I want to pick up the Bible, read something, and magically be changed. So when we hear this, we think, I'll try that for a week. We do it. It makes little sense to us, and so we give up. You cannot approach the Bible as if somehow it's a quick fix in the same way that I can't repair any damage in my marriage with one conversation. It takes an investment in understanding the language of the person that you are pursuing. The Bible, you must study it. You must seek to understand it. You must meditate upon it. And you must pray that the spirit activate the right word at the right time. And because we are not living simple lives, my Turkish friend is right. We are far too busy fixing our gaze on competing forces that are making our souls dark. We are distracted by the affluence of the Western way. So we engage in Netflix and Hulu and Facebook and Apple TV and Snapchat and Twitter and news outlets and TikTok. And I'm not anti those things. I'm simply saying, do you invest as much time in pursuing Jesus as you do fixing your gaze on things that make no significant contribution to your spiritual and mental health? through the word and the language of God. Second, you pursue Christ, we pursue Christ together when we live a more simple life and we pursue Jesus through the language of friends. I don't think most of us realize the power of community and friendship because if we did, we would invest more time in community. I've noticed in my own life, the language of friends can keep us centered, increase our ability to know Jesus in a way that grants us incredible power over temptations, emotions, and doubts. In fact, God has often spoken his best words into my life through the voice of a friend.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: Do you understand the reason so many of us are stuck? that we've known Jesus in this way for quite some time now, and it's like we can't get past the elementary things, that we say in our hearts that we seek a deeper, more intimate relationship with God, and it's because there is an area of disobedience in your life, and you know it. You can listen to more
0: messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff fines wherever you listen to podcasts. You may-